Amen. Returning this evening in the Old Testament Scriptures to the book of Leviticus and to the chapter 17. The book of Leviticus and to the 17th chapter. Going to move down the chapter uh, to take up our reading at the 8th verse. Leviticus, the chapter 17, and they're reading from the verse 8. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourn among you, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice, And bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord. Even that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood And I will cut him off from among his people, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, Neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it, is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which died of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, He shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even. Then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Amen. We end at the end of the chapter. And may the Lord add his blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. I would center my thoughts this evening around the words of verse 11. And we read there, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And there at the end of that verse, For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And just very simply tonight, I want to speak to you about the work of atonement. 
And what we read here in the Old Testament about that work of atonement, it is fulfilled in the New Testament through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the atonement that we read about in the Old Testament is but a picture. It is but a type. It is but a shadow of what the Savior would do whenever he would come into this world. And so what we learn through the word of God about the atonement, it's all pointing us to the Savior. And that work of atonement finds its fulfillment and its completion in Christ alone. Therefore, what we read in this chapter and in the text of Scripture this evening, it's a foreshadowing of the Savior. And the work of atonement is the work of Christ. So the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary was not a martyr's death. It was not a death by way of just an example merely of self-denial or of self-sacrifice. No, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary was to make atonement for the soul. That word atonement in our English Bible, it appears some 81 times, I think it is. And 80 of those occasions is in the Old Testament, just appears once in the New Testament. And it's in the book of Romans, as Paul writes to the Romans and to the chapter 5. And there we read of it in the 11th verse. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And so the Apostle Paul wants to teach the Romans that it is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ that we have received the atonement. And so while the word only appears once in the New Testament, the work of atonement is actually all through the New Testament, referring to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no book in the New Testament would bring that out more clearly than Paul's letter to the Hebrews. And really what Leviticus is in the Old Testament, Hebrews is in the New Testament. And the book of Hebrews is really a commentary and an explanation of the book of Leviticus. Hebrews chapter 9 Those well-known words in verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. And verse 24 of Hebrews 9. And that's really referring back to uh, Leviticus and to uh, Leviticus chapter 16. And it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And as Hebrews 9 goes on to state, uh, For he is the one that hath appeared 
wants at the end of this age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so the work of atonement and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is all through the Bible, throughout the Old Testament. It is there by way of picture and type and shadow, and it is there in the New Testament by way of fulfillment. And whenever you would consider the work of atonement, there would be a number of different areas and aspects to that great truth of atonement. In fact, we couldn't take time this evening to even get uh, into it in any way at all. It's a vast subject. And so tonight we only touch upon it before we come to our season of prayer. But when we think about the work of atonement, I want you to think firstly about that atonement in relation to substitution. Now we were reading in Leviticus chapter 17, but I did mention there a moment ago chapter 16 of Leviticus. And chapter 16 of Leviticus really furnishes us with all of the details about a certain day. A certain day every year that the congregation of Israel had to observe. And that day was called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And Aaron the high priest was instructed to take two goats, two victims, if you like. And he took those two goats, and one of them was going to be designated as the sacrificial goat. And the other one was going to be designated as the scapegoat. And Aaron, as the high priest, he would take that sacrificial goat and he would take the blood of that goat as it had been slain and he would enter there into the holy place. And he would enter right into the holiest of all. And he would be there before the Ark of the Covenant that was overlaid with the mercy seat. And there with the blood of the sacrificial goat, he would sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood seven times. And there as he was sprinkling the blood upon the mercy seat, he was making atonement for the people. And he would then back out of the most holy place. And he would come to the other goat that had been designated the scapegoat. And Aaron there would put both of his hands upon the head of the scapegoat. And with his hands upon the head of the scapegoat, he would confess the sins of the children of Israel. And the picture is there, the idea being conveyed to us is that he was laying those sins upon that goat. That he was transferring those sins to the goat. And that scapegoat would then have been driven out into the wilderness. And the picture there in our minds is it's carrying away or it's taking away the sins of the congregation of Israel. If you glance into chapter 16, you could look just at verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel 
and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Do you see that day of atonement? And all that was to take place on that day, and we've only touched upon the detail of it. But what a picture. What a picture of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really both of those goats are depicting for us something of the work of the Savior. That sacrificial goat, the goat that would be slain and its blood would be shed and its blood would be sprinkled upon the altar. There's the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that scapegoat, the sins being laid upon the goat as our sins are laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. John the Baptist, when he saw the Savior coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away, taketh away the sins of the world. And as that scapegoat would run off into the wilderness, uh, picturing the sins being carried away, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's bearing away our sin. You see, it was our sin that necessitated the work of atonement. Because of our sin, the work of atonement was absolutely necessary. And the necessity of the atonement is brought out not only because of our sin, but because of our inability. We are incapable of making atonement for ourselves. Man doesn't have the ability to make atonement for himself. Man doesn't have the power to make atonement for himself. Another is needed to accomplish this great work. And then the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of love and the gospel of grace. Here we have the Savior in relation to that great plan for man's redemption, here we have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's making atonement for the soul. It's the ultimate act of love, the Lord Jesus taking our place and becoming our substitute. And Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3 and the verse 13, he said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was made a curse for us. He died for us. He shed his blood for us. He made atonement for us. And so we can see substitution is one aspect of the atonement. But then secondly, I want you to notice the work of atonement in relation to satisfaction. Because in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he made satisfaction in that work of atonement. Atonement will reveal that we are sinners. 
Atonement will reveal that we in ourselves are not capable of making atonement for the soul. And it will also reveal to us that our sin separates us from God. Because God is holy. God dwells in light that is unapproachable. God's holiness. Something that we could barely fathom. Whenever the minor prophet Habakkuk was writing in chapter 1 and the verse 13, he said of the Lord, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? There's God's holiness. There's God's purity. There's God's attitude to sin. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. And therefore, when you think about God's holiness and righteousness and justice, and that man is a sinner who's incapable of making atonement himself, and God as a just God must punish sin, man in his natural estate he stands under the wrath of God. Man stands condemned before a holy God. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul makes reference to the wrath of God. In the verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And so man in his natural estate is under the wrath and condemnation of God. In Romans chapter 2 and the verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And there is where mankind stands in his natural condition. He stands condemned. He stands under the wrath of God. He stands awaiting judgment. Therefore, man needs someone to step in. Someone to step in who can make satisfaction for them before a holy God. And it's only the Lord Jesus Christ and his great work of atonement that was able to accomplish this and make satisfaction for sin. On the one side, you have God's holiness and God's just demands for a law that man has broken. And therefore man stands under that wrath. And on the other side, it needs someone who could turn away that wrath. That's what the Savior, that's what the Savior accomplished for us. That's why he suffered and bled and died upon the tree. It was to make atonement for the soul. And in doing so, he would be making satisfaction before the Father. To the extent that the work of Christ turned away the wrath of God from man. 
the wrath of God that was our due, it fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary, and he bore the wrath of God for us. And therefore, for the one who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, that wrath is turned away. And the Lord has made atonement for our souls. It's further explained by a word in the New Testament, and it's the word propitiation. And sometimes when we come to those words in the Bible, we we tend to jump over them. They sometimes scare us, and we don't know really what the word means, but they're only words, and you can examine them, and you can study them, and you can look up their meaning. And in 1 John 2 and the verse 2, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, through his work of atonement, he became the propitiation for our sins. And in 1 John 4 and the verse 10, that word appears again. And John says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. What does it mean? Well, that word simply means to turn away wrath by the means of a sacrifice. To turn away wrath by the means of a sacrifice. And there's what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing as he shed his precious blood upon that center tree. It's very interesting that that word that's translated in those two verses that I have just read, it's translated propitiation. It's a word that also appears in Hebrews. And indeed, in Hebrews chapter 9 and in the fifth verse. But it's not translated propitiation there. It says, And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And that word there, mercy seat, that's the exact same word that's translated propitiation. Now, where was that mercy seat? That's what we just read off in Leviticus in chapter 16 in the most holy place where the high priest would go in once a year on the day of atonement and he would sprinkle the mercy seat. Propitiation. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes our mercy seat. And we think of the Savior's precious blood the blood of sprinkling. And when the Savior died upon the cross and he made that propitiation, he turned away the wrath of God by means of the sacrifice. And we can say it is the blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ alone that makes atonement for the soul, makes satisfaction before God and fulfills all those just demands of a broken law. The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished all of this for us. And so in the work of atonement, we think of it in relation to substitution, in relation to satisfaction, 
But thirdly, in relation to salvation, to our salvation, that word that we have been thinking about, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. That word in the original language of the Old Testament, it comes from the root verb kafar, kafar. And it means to cover. It almost sounds like cover. In fact, it's the word that comes over into the English. Cover, kafar. And the first ever use of that word in the Old Testament was in the book of Genesis. And it was there in Genesis and the chapter 6. And it's in relation to Moses and in relation to in, 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 sorry, it's in relation to Noah and to Noah's ark. And in Genesis chapter 6, if you're looking at it, you could see the verse 14, and it says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And that word pitch there is actually the same word that's translated atonement. And the word pitch was a sort of bitumen. And whenever they had the ark made of wood, they had to seal it and they had to waterproof it. And therefore, they covered the whole of the ark with this pitch. And that pitch, the word kafar, the word that's translated atonement, is to do with a covering. And it was to be a complete covering. Another aspect of that word kafar, it means to appease or to turn away by way of turning away wrath. An example of it also in the book of Genesis and in the chapter 32 and the verse 20. Do you remember here where Esau was coming to, to meet his brother Jacob and Jacob was beginning to fear uh, that Esau was coming against them with, with anger and with wrath? And in Genesis 32 and the verse 20, And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So Jacob was going to give gifts to Esau to try and appease him. Not word appease. That's that same word that's connected with a covering and with atonement. And so it has to do with the turning away of anger, the turning away of wrath. And both of those meanings of the word is accomplished there in Christ. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross of Calvary, the shedding of his precious blood is our covering. His blood that covers over and cleanses our sin. And at the same time as we have indicated, there's an appeasing there. There's a satisfying of God. His wrath is turned away. And so as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we rest upon that great work of atonement, then we're freed from the law. A broken law. All of the claims of the law, 
all of the charges of the law that would come against us, all of the consequences of a broken law, we're freed from it. Because God's wrath and anger has been turned away. You see tonight what we have, what we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. I close with reading from Romans 5. In Romans 5 and the verse 8 and the verses following, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And you could follow down those verses and you could see all that the Lord has accomplished for his people. For those that come to trust in him, we are reconciled to God. May those who were cut off and separated from God because of sin were reconciled to God, reconciled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And being reconciled, we have that fellowship we have that communion with the Lord. We have that privilege even tonight of being able to seek God's face together in the attitude of prayer and thank God for all that has been accomplished through that work of atonement. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. May God bless his word to each of our hearts this evening. <laughs>